Bibles. I hope you turn with me one more time to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. We're going to be in chapter 3, the rest of chapter 3, and on into chapter 4 today, Lord willing. Now, you might be asking, are we still studying the solas? Jerry, good to have you back. You might seem like, oh, what, are we still here? Yes. I thought the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation was October 31st. Well, yes, we are still studying them. And yes, it was. So why are we doing this? Let me give you four reasons. First, my study of Sola Scriptura took me in places that I had never been before and taught some lessons. These four lessons are things that I haven't fully taught. And to be honest with you, it, was a, it has been and it is being a huge blessing to me. It is refreshing my spirit. I have a renewed commitment to God's Word, and that's important. Uh, a couple decades, going on nearly three decades in ministry, there are dry seasons, there are seasons of up and downs, there are seasons where you want to give up, and there are seasons where you need to be refreshed and renewed. And I want to finish faithful. And so, uh, in a, maybe in a selfish way, if nothing else, the, this pastor has been renewed. Second, I've been getting some great feedback from you as a class regarding how God is using this in your life. And so, I know that God is not just doing this for me. He's doing this for us as a class. Third... As I've said all along, these truths were not discovered 500 years ago, but rediscovered as God providentially used Martin Luther and many others to bring back an open Bible that would open hearts, which we're seeing God do that, as well as open doors for getting the gospel to everyone everywhere, namely showing us afresh and anew these five solas that according to Scripture alone, salvation is for all people by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, to God's glory alone. These five solas have no expiration date. We don't celebrate them because it's October. We celebrate them because they are biblically revealed, they're historically radical, they're culturally relevant, and they're missionally required. If we are going to fulfill the Great Commission, then we've got to take this message to all peoples. Therefore, I can't think of a better way for us to follow up and take next steps from our world outreach celebration than doing what we're doing right here today, examining these five solas. So let's review this first sola. Scripture alone, sola scriptura, scripture alone is uniquely necessary because we said four words. The first was authority. The Bible is God speaking absolutely with divine authority to us. When Scripture speaks, God speaks. And Scripture is not our only authority, but it is our unique and final authority due to verbal plenary inspiration. Those messages are online. You can download, stream, and share. Inerrancy is the second word. The Bible is God speaking truthfully to us without error. The teaching 
and the insights of other people, godly people, are valuable, but they're not infallible. The only infallible truth we have is the Bible. And the third word is clarity. The Bible is God speaking clearly to be understood and obeyed. God does not stutter, and the Holy Spirit is not a skeptic. The Bible wasn't given to us to create doubts, but to give assurance and confidence in this life. Now, remember that we said the challenges of clarity came down to two questions. Is the Bible clear enough to be understood, and are people capable enough to understand it? And we said that indeed the Scripture answers yes to those. But we said that clarity clarity is, is taught to us in two ways. It's tied to God's ability and our accountability. I'm, spell, I'm just putting a lot of letters up there, so I don't even know if they're right. God's ability. So here's the deal. Scripture is clear, but it's clear in that God clearly says what He wants us to know, but He is able to do that which He says in our lives. The Scripture is able to make us wise to salvation. The Scripture is able. God commands, and then God gives us the ability and grace to do it. Clarity also, though, means we're accountable. Because if it's clear, then we can't say, oh, we don't know. But here's the good news. Our accountability, we can, we can pass God's test of accountability because God gives us the ability. So we're accountable to depend on Him in what He clearly says. That's important for what we're leading into today. And that is sufficiency. Sufficiency of Scripture. And so here's what I want us to examine today. This is the fourth word. So we've looked at authority, inerrancy, clarity. Now we're looking at sufficiency. The Bible is God speaking sufficiently to what is most necessary in this life and the life to come. The Bible is God speaking sufficiently to what is most necessary in this life and the life to come. And I've given you a couple definitions there. Matthew Barrett, in his book, God's Word Alone. By the way, by your faith promise giving, we're able to give a complete set of the five sola books, the books I'm using to help me study for this series. Each missionary got a copy of that, and they were thrilled. They were thrilled with that. And I'm thrilled that we have missionaries that were thrilled to receive books like that. Amen? And that's good. That, in, that is good news. All things necessary for salvation and for living the Christian life in obedience to God and for His glory are given to us in the Scriptures. Everything necessary. Not everything necessary for everything. Otherwise, we wouldn't be spending bukus of money sending my daughter to college. I just have her stay home and I teach her the Scriptures. But everything that's necessary for salvation and for living the Christian life. You see John Piper, his definition. The scriptures are sufficient in the sense that they are the only inspired and therefore inerrant words of God that we need. In other words, everything we've studied up to this time supports the sufficiency of scripture. They're sufficient 
because it's God speaking with authority. They're sufficient because it's God speaking truthfully and without error. They're sufficient because they're clear enough to be understood with the help of the Spirit. The sufficiency of Scripture means we don't need any more special revelation. Sufficiency of Scripture means that I don't need to add and I cannot take anything from this book. If I take from it, I'm taking that which is necessary. If I'm adding to it, I'm saying what's there is not sufficient. Does that make sense? And so human reason, human truth. So what what does Mormonism do? We believe the Bible. If you ask Mormon, do you believe the Bible? Yes. And we believe the Book of Mormon. Thus saying, this is not sufficient. Okay? So anytime you add another book as equal authority, which was the whole issue. And it means we don't need the Holy Spirit speaking divine revelation to us in addition. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, He is speaking to you that which is consistent with this book and that which will guide you back to this book and that which will guide you back to Jesus who is the author and subject of this book. So that's what sufficiency is about. You see, there's and sufficiency also implies, and Jerry, you'd be glad I, I didn't add another lesson, it adds necessity. We could discuss a whole lesson on the necessity of Scripture. Because if Scripture is what it claims to be, authority, inerrancy, clarity, and sufficiency, then it is necessary. It is necessary. And that's really what undergirds this lesson. I have there a couple of the confessions, the London Baptist Confession on the Holy Scriptures. You can read that. Here's the, bo- here's the bottom line on these definitions. The Bible is more than enough for this life and the one to come. The Bible is more than enough for this life and the one to come. I like this uh, quote by Martin Luther. A simple layman armed with Scripture is to be believed above a pope or a council without it. That's affirmation of the of sufficiency of Scripture. What about Jesus? Before we dive in here, what about Jesus? I've got two verses there. Think about this. This is Jesus, the living Word of God. The living Word of God. And what does He do? He points people back to the written Word of God. Here's what He says about the sufficiency of Scripture in John chapter 5. Do not think, I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses. And he's not just talking about the individual. He's talking about the books that Moses wrote. And by implication, he's saying the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you claim you do, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. The entire Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. But if you do not believe his writings, Jesus is affirming Moses is the author of the first five books of the Bible. How will you believe my words? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, this word is sufficient. You ought to believe in me because you believe in this word. If you believe in this word, you'll believe in me. If you believe my words, you'll believe the words of this book. Don't ever, here's my warning to you, don't ever let any pastor, 
person or professor, separate in your mind the living word from the written word. Just don't do it. They are both God speaking to us. Jesus, the living word, didn't say, hey, burn your Bibles. I'm here. Listen to me. No, he said, get your Bibles out. Get your Bibles out and you listen to those words because those are the words of God. They point to me. And when you listen to me, I'll point you back to the scriptures. That's exactly what any teacher, preacher, Sunday school teacher, Discovery Hour teacher ought to be doing, pointing people to the Scriptures, and in pointing them to the Scriptures, pointing them to the living Word of God and giving each equal authority. Here he says it again, Luke 16. This is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And so Jesus is telling the story, but he's affirming. And in the story, here's what Abraham says. The man is, the rich man is in, uh, he's in hell. And we won't get into all the different names for where he's at. He's in eternal judgment. And he wants Lazarus to come back from the dead and warn his five brothers. And here's what Abraham says. They have Moses and the prophets. That is the Old Testament. Let them hear them. But the rich man said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Well, guess what? Jesus is going to rise from the dead and his message is going to be repent. But here's what he says. But he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. The point is the scriptures are sufficient. And because they're sufficient, I want you to see today. From 2 Timothy 3 and 4, seven ways Scripture is more than enough. Seven ways Scripture is more than enough. And let's dive into way number one. Scripture is sufficient for salvation. Scripture is sufficient for salvation. Look at verse 15. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this because we've hit this numerous times. But look at verse 15. That from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's how salvation happens. James 1, 21 through 22 says, In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. More than sufficient. Now, here's what I want you to do. We're going to look at Psalm 119. I'm just going to read Psalm 119, longest chapter in the Bible. And in every verse, there's a stanza for every alphabet, letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And then each stanza begins with that letter of the alphabet. So it's alliterated. That makes my heart happy. And so as you read through Psalm 119, longest chapter of the Bible, every verse is about the Bible. The Bible is mentioned by some sort of word in every verse. So here's what I want want to do. Listen to Psalm 119, verses 97 through 104. There's several that we could read, but listen to this one on how Scripture is able to make us wise. Oh, how I love your law. This is verse 97. Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. 
for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I have... I understand more than the aged, the elders, because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false. Way. Oh, the passion for the Word of God in Psalm 119. It is sufficient for our salvation. Listen, if we're going to witness, then we've got to understand that the, the clarity and the sufficiency of Scripture, we need to be less worried about what we say and more worried that lost people are getting into the Bible. Get them into the Bible. My life was totally transformed and changed when a lady from this church challenged me at Oak Park High School and said, Do you read your Bible? That one question, do you read your Bible? And perhaps you ought to. Totally transformed, totally changed, and is the beginning of the steps that led me right here today. Secondly, God doesn't just save us. He sanctifies us. And the second way Scripture is sufficient is it's sufficient for our sanctification. It is sufficient for our sanctification. Look at verse 16. No sooner than he mentions salvation in verse 15, he moves on and talks about how Scripture is sufficient to make us holy in God's eyes. Look at verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. It is able. There's that idea of ability. The Scriptures will do four things. Teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now, in those four words, man, get those marked in your Bible. Get this verse memorized. Meditate on this because anytime you read Scripture, it's going to try to do one of four things, if not all of them, but at least one of the four it will try to do. It is sufficient for instruction and shows us the right path. Secondly, it's sufficient for reproving us when we go off the right path. So here we are, and we start deviating. If you'll stay in the Bible, it will tell you, Chris, you're getting off. You're getting off. Third, it's sufficient for correcting us, getting us back on the right path. Oh, I'm I'm on the wrong path. You ever gotten lost? The big question is, how do I get back? And listen, when Christians get off, The right path, the path of righteousness, the path of living for God. They find it very hard how to get back on the right path. The Word of God corrects us. Fourth, sufficient for training us to stay on the right path. That's what Scripture does. It's sufficient for these things. Do you realize that when Jesus, again, the living Word, was tempted by the devil... What did the living word resort to? Did he kind of like reveal his glory and say, you know, I am a superhero. I am the son of God. Get away from me, Satan. Don't tempt me. No, the living word quoted what? 
the written word. That's very important. He took the sword of the Spirit and dealt with his temptations. Listen to Matthew 4.4, and here's the first one. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he modeled that by quoting Deuteronomy. So you got to think through this. Jesus, from, from an early age, just like Timothy, had been taught the clarity, the authority, and the inerrancy of Scripture so that when he was tempted as a grown man, he thought back to Deuteronomy and he understood the verse in context, applied it accurately to his temptation. Wow. That's what we should be doing. Three times Jesus was tempted. Three times Jesus said, It is written. And you know what he was saying when he said that? It is written. It has authority. It is written. It is truthful. It is written. It is clear. It is written. It is sufficient. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And do you know, on the night before Jesus died, he prayed this very prayer for you and me. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them in truth. Jesus prayed that you and I would be made more holy by being in this book. Is his prayer being answered in your life? Listen to David in Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. That's sanctification. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. That's sanctification. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I need wisdom. And the more I realize that I lack it in and of myself. Man, this is just good stuff. But listen to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. One of the classic passages about sanctification. If you've got young people in your life that are over the age of five, this is a passage you need to be drilling, drilling, drilling into them. By the grace and the Spirit of God. Psalm 119, 9 through 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to the word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Let me say that again. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. More than my job. I don't let my job get between me and getting into the word of God. And don't think that being in ministry, that's any less of a temptation. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forgive your word. The scriptures are more than sufficient for our sanctification. But God doesn't save us and sanctify us to sit on a shelf and say, look how holy these people are. 
No, he he saves us and sanctifies us to employ us, employ, am I saying deploy, employ? Well, maybe employ us in service. I don't know. I think I mean deploy. Deploy us into service. So let's look at the third. Scripture is sufficient for service. It's sufficient for service. God doesn't save us and sanctify us so we can sit, sour, and soak. He does it so that we can serve Him. So he goes from verse 15, salvation, verse 16, sanctification, to verse 17, service. Look at it. Why does God make us wise? Why does God reprove, correct, and train us? Verse 17. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Man, you could write sufficiency all over that. If I... Saved by this book, if I'm growing in holiness by this book, and if I'm allowing this book to have its work in me, God working in me through His Word, then I will be complete, adequate to do everything that God wants me to do. Is that just not the coolest thing? Because, by the way, when you die and stand before your Savior, He's not going to say, hey, how much did you make? You know, he's not going to say, where did you live? He's not going to say, what did other people think of? He's going to say, did you fulfill the ministry I gave you to do? Did you finish the work I gave you to do? If you're in this book, you'll be equipped to do that. And Paul doesn't just stop there. Because Timothy was a vocational, so to speak, a a pastor, someone who is gifted, to use his gifts not only to be a teach uh, not only to teach but be a teacher here's what he says in verse uh, chapter 4 he moves on remember that chapter break is not in the original so he goes on and he says look because of this i solemnly charge you in the presence of god and of christ jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom in other words you're accountable you're accountable And you're going to have to answer to him. So here's what you need to do. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. There's Just like you, there's times when you don't want to come here and listen. Well, let me tell you, there's times when I don't want to come here and teach you. Okay? But we do it in season and out of season. Because we know it's a season. And this too will pass. It's when you quit, when you don't feel it, you push through you've got to push through and persevere and you do that by feeding on the word of god in the power of the spirit so he goes on and he says to him for the time will come well first he says to him verse two preach the word in season out season reprove rebuke exhort almost the exact words that he said scripture does why because the effective minister uses the scripture in the way scripture intends to be used and then he says this for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but wanting to have their ears tickled on the internet they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires we are in over our head in that time and they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths but you you life bridge you new life class be sober in all things endure hardship do the work of an evangelist and what's he end with fulfill your 
ministry. And the way you do that is by being in this book. Be in this book. That's the key. Listen to Psalm 119. I'll just read the first two verses. Psalm 119, 17 through 18. Here's what it says. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. David said, look, I want to live another day because I want to keep your word. I want another day not to make success for me, not to serve myself, but I want to keep living so that I can serve you. Wow. And then he says, verse 18, in order to serve you, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. So the key is the word of God. The key is the word of God. So here's what you do. Saturate your ministry, whether it's nursery to the oldest people in this church, saturate your ministry with the word of God. You say, but I play drums. How do I saturate my drums with the word of God? Well, here's the key. If you're going to saturate your ministry with the word of God, you've got to saturate your heart with the word of God so that it comes out. So, Bill, I don't know how that works, but when you saturate your heart with the word of God, you're going to beat those drums and the word of God's going to just, it's, it's going to, I, I, I don't know. The beat of God. Okay, I like that. That's what we want. Because we don't want Bill's beat. We want God's beat. Amen? We don't want your singing. We want God's singing. You don't want my teaching. You want God's teaching. You don't want... You get it. But to saturate... Now, here's the deal. If you'll saturate your life and ministry, you'll be a success in God's eyes. And that's number four. Scripture is sufficient for success. Or you could use the word significance, because here's the deal. Everybody's hungering and yearning for significance, and they think they'll find it in all the wrong places. Singles think they'll find it in marriage. Boy, they'll find that out. Married people think they'll find it in having kids, and then your kids rebel. People who are in a job they don't like think they'll find it in a job that they will like. When you find that job, let me know. I haven't found many men finding that job. Here's the point. Significance and success come from following and feeding on the sufficiency of Scripture in your ministry. Look at verses 6 through 8. Having just delivered this charge, and he's not done, he's still charging him, but in charging Timothy to preach in season and out of season, he says, look, here's how it's, gonna, here's how it's worked out for me. I am a success. And here's what he says. Look at verses 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. In the time of my departure, he means getting his head chopped off as a martyr. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. How would you do that? Sufficiency of Scripture. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, the apostle, but to all who love his appearing. That's success. That's significance. And that comes only through the sufficiency of Scripture. 
perhaps the best passage in all the Bible on the sufficiency of the Bible regarding our success is Joshua 1. Joshua 1, verses 6 through 9. Here's what God says to young Joshua who's about to embark on his leadership of the people of Israel to take them into the promised land. Here's what he says to them. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. It's sufficient. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. In other words, don't speak anything but what is Scripture. But you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Wow. You want to be successful in life? Because listen, when you're, when you're dead and you're in that coffin and your family, your friends gather around, no one's going to say, oh, I wish they made more money. Oh, I wish we lived in a bigger house. You're going to say one of two things. Oh, I wish they had lived for God according to his word. Or, oh, I'm so glad they lived for God according to his word. Now, success doesn't come without suffering. And that's number five. Scripture is sufficient for suffering. Scripture is sufficient for suffering because i'm not a prosperity preacher i don't want you to think that if you get in this word meditate on it everything's going to be to the right and up no the christian life it's it should always keep going up but it's up like this right but headed in that direction and that's the way it was with paul so here's Paul. You read verses 6 through 8 and you're thinking, wow, this guy's like, woohoo, you know, time of my departure. He's quietly, no, he's in prison and he's about to get his head chopped off. And here's what he says in verses 9 through 15. Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. If you want to know what the greatest discouragement to men and women in ministry is, I'm telling you right now, it's betrayal. It's when those you thought you can count on fail you. And it's what Jesus experienced the night before he went to the cross where all the 12 men that he invested in, one, an unbeliever, but the believers all ran. Let me tell you, Paul knew what suffering was. He says, verse 11, only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark, bring him. He's useful to me for service. And he goes on. And then he says, verse 13, when you come, bring the cloak, which I left at Troas with Carpus. Why? Because he's in prison. He's freezing. He's freezing. He's exposed to the elements. And he says, and the books, especially the parchments. So here's this man who is being betrayed, forsaken, freezing, knows he's about to face death, execution. 
He needs a coat, but what he wants more than anything is the Word of God. So, listen, if I go in a coma or I can't hear, you come visit me, you read the Word of God to me. If I can't ask for it, you read it and you keep reading it. Listen, when I visit people that are terminally ill, I have nothing to say to them of any significance. I read the Word of God. Amen? I read the Word of God. And God's people love to hear it. Because in suffering, you know it is sufficient. It is more than sufficient. Wow. And he goes on how, verse 14, Alexander the copper smith did much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Uh, how would you like to be... Here's your chance to be in Scripture. And Paul calls you out. And he says, this guy did much harm to me. But he says, don't worry about that. God will take care of him. Whoa. I'm glad I'm not Alexander. I don't want to ever be Alexander the coppersmith. Doing harm to God's representatives, God's pastors, God's people. Be a guard on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. At my defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Here he has mercy on those that are willfully opposing God. He bring he prays for judgment. He releases them to God's judgment. But those who chickened out like the 12 disciples, he says, may it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. So at one point he was going to be devoured by lions, thrown to the lions, but he's facing beheading. Whatever it is, God's word is sufficient. Look at verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And I'm just telling you, that confidence, that ability to persevere in suffering is by feeding, 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 feeding on the word of God. I can tell you that Gwen and I have laid on our carpet in our living room face up hopeless, not knowing what God was doing, what we were in for, and just reading the Psalms. And just in in my mind, I'm thinking, God, I don't know if we're ever going to get out of this. I don't know how we're going to get through this, but we are claiming your word. And I don't feel like it. I don't even halfway believe it, but I trust in it. And whatever, and, 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 and it's in those moments that you determine, God, I'm not demanding the outcome I want. All I'm asking is that I may trust you no matter the outcome. Does that make sense? That's the sufficiency. That's the sufficiency. And when you have that kind of trust, Scripture will be sufficient for satisfaction. You will find your satisfaction in life in the Word of God and the God of the Word. Because here's what he says in verses 16. I I think I got ahead of myself a little bit. 16 through 18. He's basically saying, look, you know what? Humanly, I have been abandoned. Humanly, 
Everybody I counted on. And I'm telling you, I've taken these hits. When people you have personally discipled betray and abandon you or abandon even the faith, it hits deep. But you do it in in those moments. Here's what you learn. Did I do it for my own glory, my own satisfaction, or did I do it for God's glory? And you have to learn, who am I serving? Does that make sense? Why do I do what I do? And if you do it for the Lord, guess what? Even in disappointment and betrayal, you keep doing it. Because Scripture is sufficient. All right, we must move on. Number seven. Scripture is sufficient for security. Scripture is sufficient for security. Basically, Paul ends his charge to Timothy in verse 18 with these words. Here's his confidence. Here is his security. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That settles it. I'm secure and I'm going to make it to where I'm going, and I'm going to the kingdom. You know what's interesting about these verses? Look at at verse 1 through 2 of chapter 4. He mentions the kingdom. Look at verses 6 through 8, especially verse 8. He talks again about appearing before the king. And then finally, in verse 18, you see, all the way along, he knows where his final destination is, and that which is giving him security and confidence, is this book. It's this book. Huh? Did I not give you number six? Satisfaction. 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 Now, so here's the bottom line. Thanks for asking, Jeff. Did we get it? Are we set? Scripture alone, listen, Scripture alone is more than enough in this life and the life to come. Here, here, I mean, there's so many ways to teach this lesson. Scripture alone is sufficient for evangelism, discipleship, and missions. It answers the question, what must I do to be saved? It answers the question, how can I be strong in my faith? It answers the question, what about those who have never heard? Scripture alone is sufficient for your personal life. Luther read through the Bible twice a year. I would challenge you to read through it at least once in your life. I don't care if it took you one year, two years, or three years. Do not approach, do not come before your Lord without having read His Word. Amen? I could go on. Scripture alone is sufficient for anyone, anytime, anywhere. Listen, when you cross a border or enter another people group, sufficiency of Scripture doesn't go away. Scripture alone is sufficient for going beyond borders and bridging the gap. We need to translate it into every language. We need to take it to every people group. We need to preach it to every tribe. We need to use it to impact every nation. And remember that outer diamond of our logo represents the four corners of the world. We just came out of world outreach. We support missionaries that believe in the authority, the inerrancy, the clarity, and the sufficiency of Scripture. LifeBridge, it's sufficient for knowing Christ, for growing in Christ, 
for showing Christ and for going with Christ. And here's the warning of Martin Luther. When we have God's word pure and clear, then we think ourselves all right. We become negligent and repose in a vain security. We no longer pay heed, thinking it will always so remain. We do not watch and pray against the devil who is ready to tear the divine word out of our hands and our hearts. That's where we're at today. Abundance of Bible and not watchful in being in it. I like what he says. You may as well quit reading and hearing the word of God and give it to the devil if you do not desire to live according to it. Man, can you imagine Luther? Well, man, guy. Wow. I end with this. Robert Chapman gave this famous quote. This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts binding, its histories are true, its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, and the soldier's sword. It should fill the memory, test the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its sacred contents. Christ is its grand subject, our good is its design, and the glory of God is its end. Would you commit today to reading and studying and living this book. Let's pray. Father, we are blessed beyond measure with an abundance of the Word of God. And yet, Lord, we confess apathy, laziness, a lack of priorities, and to be quite honest, a lack of hunger and desire for Your Word. O God, cleanse us by the blood of Jesus. Restore us by your grace to be people of the book. Let not this class, this church, its leaders, its members, be people who lack time spent in this book. I pray it for your glory. I pray it for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I hope you're motivated to be in the Word of God. I can help. If you need help, just come. Ask someone. Ask me. We can help.